0: We've been doing a series through through, uh, through the book of Acts, that's where we're at, and so last week we were um, in, in chapter 2 kind of talking about the Pentecost and just the spiritual gifts, and so we're going to continue in that passage. For those who need a Bible, if you could put your hand up, we have some phenomenal people that are passing out some Bibles. Um, and if, if, if you have a Bible, open it up, it's going to be Acts 2, 42 through 47, so towards uh, towards the end of Acts chapter two. Also, uh, we're we're in Acts chapter two. Uh, yeah, of course, verses 42 through 47 i 'm going to start reading um, if you want to open up in your Bible, I think it might be on the screen too, but so it says acts 2 242 through 47 All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the lord 's supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Uh, The title of my message for, for those taking notes is just simply Hospitality, Unity, And the heart of Jesus. And uh, so the first one, looking at hospitality, which is, it's defined as friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. Um, But did you guys actually know that hospitality is also a spiritual gift? Uh, last week, you know, Jeff talked about some spiritual gifts. He talked about Pentecost. And so, uh, you know, there's the gift of tongues. There's a gift of interpretation. There's a lot of different gifts. Uh, but to be honest, I think sometimes we, we put a few gifts and, and, and we look at them as like the attractive spiritual gifts or the more desirable ones. Yeah, there are actually, there's a long list of spiritual gifts that are all so vital to the ministry that are so important. And uh, hospitality is one of those things where it's just, it's, it's, it's caring for the needs of people. It's, it's serving, which is the very heart of Jesus. That's the thing that Jesus is all about. And, and, and I would say this, that the entire point of our spiritual gifts is that we can help people and we can bring God glory. I mean, I mean and those are the two things. And so hospitality, it is, it's meeting the needs of those that have them. And First uh, Corinthians twelve seven it says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. That's the point. Like, and so what we see in, in this passage is that the verse before, in which I started reading, it talks about how Peter spoke, and three thousand were added. Were added, and, and and so you have you have a start of one hundred and twenty people going to three thousand. Just just take a quick look around this building. You know, we can fit one hundred twenty people just fine. Imagine trying to fit three thousand people in here. It would, uh, we would be packed like sardines. It would be pretty tough. And so what we see in this passage is that, uh, like, the, the numbers just sp- spike. And so the, they're, they're, they're needing to practically and spiritually meet the needs of the people there. And so actually, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but a few chapters down the road in the book of Acts, the, some, of, some of the guys are like, hey, we need more people um, to help with the food, to help with some of the practical pieces, because, like, I, like you know, we have to preach. And and that's what Peter is saying. And so they bring in these just like studly, godly people to come help and serve and meet the to to take the practical needs um, within that. And so because it's important, because serving is so important. It was one of those things where, um, like everything, when it comes to the body, when it comes to the church, everything's valuable. Everything's so vital. And and again, with, with with thinking of hospitality and thinking of serving, like that's the very heart of Jesus. Like, that's why Jesus wants us to serve so bad. He talks about it so much in, in the Bible, about serving. And, and, and can I just say that? Like, like, Jesus wants that. Jesus doesn't say, like, serve because it's, like, the one thing, like, he doesn't want to do. You know where you ever have that where you're like, hey, can you do that? Because I would rather do anything but that. Like, growing up, like, me and my brother, we would share all the chores, And my brother lovingly convinced me that cleaning the toilets was, like, the good chore. You know, like, oh, no, dude, vacuuming. It's brutal. I'll do it because I love you. But, you know, and so, like, in this way, like, um, you know, so for, like, years, I was just scrubbing the toilets thinking, like, oh, this is the easy chore. When in in all reality, like, my brother is just trying to, like, you know, pick and choose his favorites. And, And so I would just say, like... Spiritually, like, Jesus isn't doing that with us. Jesus isn't saying, like, hey, like, you serve because I'd rather do other stuff. He's saying, like, I want you to serve because it's the most important thing that you can do. It's the most vital thing that you can do. That's the heart of, uh, of his ministry is that, like, it's all about serving and meeting the needs of the people. That he had such a, such a selfless heart within that. that. That Mark 10, 43 through 45 says, among you it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That the entire heart of Jesus is one of humility. And it's in order to take care of the needs of other people. C.S. Lewis, who is a brilliant author and a a theologian, I I love C.S. Lewis. and, And he said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And, and, and again, so just, this, just the heart of service is just so strong with the early believers. It's so strong because there's just such a close-knit community of wanting to genuinely take care of one another. And so that would be my question, just, you know, practically wanting to just care for and just meet the needs of people. You know, when, when you think about the early church going through, you know, 120 to 3,000, like there might have been people that could slip in and out of that And and, and yet they were really intentional about caring for one another. They were intentional about about loving people and reaching out. And so that would be my question this morning is, like, is is that the atmosphere that we're creating? Like, like, like if somebody walks in and and it's their first time, they don't know anyone, like, are we first to just greet them and make sure they feel loved? And I think we are. I don't say that out of, like, condemnation or judgment. I just say, like, to, to be intentional about really loving people. Uh, my, my, my freshman year of college, I went to a church for three months, and it wasn't this one. Um, but for three months, I went, and not a single person came up to me and said hi. Not a single person said, hey, how are you doing? Like, welcome to church. Then for three months, I just felt like so, just honestly invisible, and, uh, and it made me really insecure. It, like, like, what about me is not approachable? What about me, you know? And, and so, you know, I was kind of quick to just see uh, faults within myself, trying to think about, like, why I was just so unnoticed. And, and so I say that just because, again, like, the, the church went from 120 to 3,000, yet they still deeply cared and loved one another. And I just think, man, like, like, my heart this morning is that that no one would ever walk into this church and just feel unloved. That no one would walk into this church and be able to slip in and out without somebody saying hi. That that would be a heart of just hospitality and just serving and having this heart like Jesus would just be seeking people out and just loving them for who they are. Because that's what Jesus does constantly in his ministry. The second point is is unity, as we talked about. Because here's the thing. Christianity is designed to flourish in community. That Christianity is not designed for isolation, but we need one another. That we need this community. That we need to go arm in arm together, partnering in life. We need to bear one another's burdens. That we really genuinely need to be here for one another. That uh, when we look up in the sky... Uh, I love this, but we'll never see a goose. We'll never see a goose fly alone. Uh, I'm an animal nerd. You guys know that. But uh, we also always see this V formation. That there's this V formation when they fly in the sky, and it's not to look cool. It's not you know, for any reason. Uh, but there's intentionality with it. That that did you guys know that when the whole flock does that, when the whole flock flies in a V formation, that they can fly about seventy percent farther with the same amount of energy than if one goose flew alone. They also rotate leadership. So the ones that are in the front, they take on most of the wind. And so it's, it, it's tougher for them. They kind of pave the way. And so when one goose gets too tired, it, it, it'll go to the back, and another one will take the front, and another one will lead. That they rotate so that no one is overwhelmed and that they can sustain each other. And then also, if, if one starts to fall behind, if one gets sick or injured or something, that they will have two leave go with that one until it's able to rejoin or whether it's not able to and it dies and then they'll go back. And yet, but there's just this, this way of when they, when they fly, they know that they can go farther together. And I think in the same way, like that's our role. With the church. That, that's what we saw in, in, in the early church. That's what we saw in Acts. We saw these guys that were like, we're going to bear one another's burdens. We're, I mean, they, they sold everything they had to, to, to just take care of each other and meet the needs of one another. But I also think for us in this modern time, like, we gotta, we got to care for one another like that. That, that. that we have to be meeting the needs of people. That we have to be bearing one another's burdens moving forward. That we have to love people and, and really care. That's how unity is formed. Unity doesn't come when we keep people at a distance. Unity comes when we, when, when we invite people in and we bear one another's burdens. I feel like we say this a lot at Beaver, and maybe you guys have heard this, but, but mask-free zone. That's something that, that we're really intentional about. That's something that, that we really want. And so I guess the question, you know, is like how? Like, like what, 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 what exactly does kind of a mask-free zone um, look like? Because it's a culture that we're intentional about creating. And I would just say this, that, that a mask-free zone, it comes when, when we're honest with ourselves. But the first thing that I would say is that we got to be honest with ourselves and with people. That isolation leads to burnout in your faith. That we have to be constantly including people into our story. So um, I'm very uncoordinated. <laughs> Hence the large you know, cut on my face. Um, and so you know, a few years back, my, my little sisters wanted me to, uh, to go on a bike ride with them. And, and I've crashed my bike twice in Blackberry Briars. So naturally, I'm like, eh, I'm not a big fan. But, you know, but I love my sisters. And so I was like, I want to do that. So we're going on a bike ride. The funny part, though, is there's four of us, because my cousin joined. So there's four of us. There's three bikes. So there's a problem. So naturally, I'm like, all right, well, I'll dip out. You know, <laughs> and, like, you guys can go and have fun. And they're like, no, 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 we want you to go. And my sister pulls out a two-foot-tall Barbie scooter that is super pink. It's got flowers everywhere. And she's like, I'll ride it. And and I'll go with you guys. And I was like, there's no way a scooter can sustain with a bike. But again, like, I didn't have the heart to just tell my sister no. So we start to go. And of course, it's like the scooter can't keep up. So I'm on the bike, and I'm kind of circling back to her because I don't want her to feel alone. And and eventually, like, I get to a point where I just, like, I feel kind of bad. And so I'm like, like, I'll take the scooter. Like, you take the bike. And so here I am, this, like, 20-something-year-old dude on a two-foot-tall Barbie scooter that is so pink and within three seconds, they all ditch me. Like, they all just take the bikes, and they're gone. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I'm like riding around in the neighborhood, again, in a, like a little Barbie scooter, trying to not have all of my man cards just gone, but, they, but, but they're gone. And, and, and I get to this point where they leave me, and I'm at the top of a massive hill. <laughs> I'm at the top of a massive hill in December, where there's frost everywhere. And I start to go down the hill. But, but here's the other thing. They didn't tell me this. The brakes don't work. So I, I start to pick up speed because I'm a large man going down a hill and I can't stop. So like, I'm like I'm pressing on the brakes like so hard but it's not working and eventually you know like the, the little bit of like the little crevice between the sidewalk and the grass. Uh huh. The first wheel just hits that hard. And so I start to just face plant. But here's the thing. It's slippery, right? So I don't just face plant and stay there. I face plant and slide down the hill. <laughs> with a Barbie scooter. And, and I told you I was alone because my sisters left. But across the street, there's a girl my age who is just looking at me like, just shaking your head because here I am a 20 year old man holding a 2 foot tall barbie scooter rolling down a hill face first i i say that last part because i am incapable of doing something foolish without nobody seeing like there's always that one person that's like ah you shouldn't have been here like i you know and so so any the point of that is that when when we isolate ourselves the struggle is real that when we're alone, I feel like often like, we, we feel like we have to keep up. And this fear just cripples us. We panic and we fall. Like I was trying to catch up to them. That's why I was trying to go faster. I was like, oh, I'll just get down the hill. I'll be fine. And then, you know, here I am face-planting down the hill in a Barbie scooter. And, and I think sometimes, though, that, that can happen to us spiritually. Like spiritually, like we'll isolate ourselves and we'll think, I'm fine. Like, I'm good. Like, I can keep up. Or, because we know that we're alone, we kind of start to panic. And so we start to just to ch- chase after. And sometimes maybe, maybe we chase after the wrong things, but we get to this point where before we know it, we're face planning, wondering, what happened? Where, where did it go wrong? And so the biggest thing that we need to do in church, in Christianity, in our walk with Jesus, is we have to surround ourselves with people constantly. We have to invite them into the story because when we try to bear it on our own, we can't. We're not meant to. That Psalms 133:1 One says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. The other thing that I love is going back going back to Acts. Uh, where we were reading Acts 2:46 through 47, it says they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Did you guys notice something? It says each day. I love that. It doesn't say once every Sunday they met and said, hey, how are things? Good. But, you know, secretly you put on this mask because you're hurting, but you don't want people to know because that requires you being vulnerable and honest with people. It doesn't say, once a week, give me a brief update. It doesn't say, oh, once every so often, I'll tell a friend how I'm doing. Each and every day, they worshiped together, and they were in community. And, and, and that's how the church is meant to be, that each and every day, like, we've got to have people in our lives that are asking how we're doing. We've got to have people in our lives that are asking the tough questions. And, and, and when those questions get asked, like, we can't stiff-arm people at a distance. We have to let people in close, into the story, into all that we are. Because that's how unity is formed. Unity is, again, it's not formed when we keep people at a distance. Unity is formed when we draw people close. That each day they met in the temple, they worshipped, and they loved people. Now, that's the two biggest things that we can do. The two, the two greatest commandments was love God and love people. That in Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40, it says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That this is the first and the greatest commandment. A second equally important is love your neighbor as yourself. That the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two things. And so for them, like, that's, what, that's what the early church did. They, just, they met together, they cared, and they loved people. And here's the second part of that. There's two parts, I think, uh, in creating a mask-free zone. I think the second part is just as important. The second part is that we got to be approachable. And we got to be real and authentic before others. That we got to create a safe place for people to come and feel loved, to feel cared for, and not to feel judged. The world does not need you to pretend like you have everything together. The world is desperate and starving for authenticity. That being a Christian doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we have a God who gives us amazing grace. That's what it means. And so, like, the best way I think that we can really love people is just being real with one another. And, 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 and people can see that. People can see that when you're authentic. And, they, and, and that creates, again, this just safe place. That Jeff, myself, and a couple other people, we, uh, we were in Bend, Oregon for a for Foursquare conference. And uh, the last pastor of the morning, it was really tragic. His son actually died in a car crash. And so, he didn't stand up on stage, though, and pretend like everything was perfect. He didn't stand up on stage and say that, like, it doesn't hurt. He didn't stand up on stage and say, like, I'm not struggling. Like, like he was honest with people. He, he, he was crying on the side while worship was going on, yet he stands up and he just is honest and vulnerable with people. And it created the safe place for God to move. He said some really powerful things that morning, and I love it. He said, my story isn't that I overcame grief. It is that I'm overcoming it. Don't hide your pain. I don't have to be on the other side of my pain for God to use it. That restoration emerges from places of despair and brokenness. The gospel is not devoid of suffering. It was birthed from it. And again, everyone was moved, encouraged, and strengthened because he didn't try to sugarcoat his pain. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to mask it. But he was real and authentic and genuine before other people. And people see that. The, the world wants to know that you're real. Your school, your friends, they want to know that you're real. Now, now, I want to say this, that we want to be striving for Jesus. And so we want to make good choices and we want to be a good example. But people can tell when you're genuine or not. People can tell when you're faking it or not. And so what your friends need more than anything is the real authentic person that you are. Because in that, like, God can use brokenness just as much for his glory as the successes. I think even in my own life personally, I think God has used my pain for his glory just as much as he's used the things I've done right. And so the world wants you to be just genuine and authentic. That's what, that's what, that's what it's craving. That's what it's desperate for. And so thinking of unity, that there's two things. we got to be real, and we got to invite people in our story. And then, and then that being said, we have to create this safe place for people to enter into theirs. A safe place is birthed from honesty, vulnerability, and authenticity. And that's what the church needs to be. That, that, that that's what it was in acts that 's what it was. It was simply meeting together, worshiping together, sharing in fellowship, and and bearing one another's burdens, just really genuinely caring and the and, and the last point that I have is number three just it just simply says the heart of Jesus, but when it comes to serving, when it comes to caring for others and meeting the needs of the people, he always starts with the heart. I love that that uh in in, in mark chapter two there's this story of this paralyzed man wanting to be healed by Jesus. And yet Jesus is in this building and it's packed and it's full and there is no way that this paralyzed man can get to Jesus. So this is what I love. This is what he does. And a side note, he gets four buddies to help him. Again, he can't do it on his own. We can't do this Christian life on our own, that we need those people with us. But he gets four buddies, and, and, and they, 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 they make a hole from the roof, and they literally lower him into the center of where Jesus is teaching. Bummer for the dude that owns the home. <laughs> but, 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 but God moved, you know. And so in this moment, though, he sees just the faith of this man, he sees the determination to be healed, he sees all of this. And Jesus is amazed. But what I love is, this is what Jesus says. He says in Mark 2, verse 5, he says, Seeing their faith, Jesus says to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But that's the first thing he does. The first thing he does is he addresses the heart. Like like Jesus heals the man. You know, we'll get to that in a minute. He doesn't just say, hey, your your sins are forgiven. He just like walks away and the the guy's still paralyzed. Like he takes care of that need. But the first thing that he does is he does that personal inventory in the heart. He says, I've got you. And, and, and we see that there's a pattern. I feel like in, in, in the Gospels, there's this pattern where Jesus heals. And Jesus always starts with the heart. Jesus always says, like, like, like your faith has made you well. He, 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 he'll address the behavior later, but he starts with love and grace first. He, you know, like, 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 like he'll cleanse someone, he'll forgive someone, he'll say, hey, like, go and sin no more. But, but he wants to take care of the heart first. He says, your sins are forgiven, now do that. And I think that there's intentionality with the order in which Jesus conducts things. Because Jesus understands how critically important a heart is. It's the most valuable thing to Jesus is your heart. To me that's such a, that's such a humbling thought. Jesus went to the cross for your heart. And if Jesus went to the cross for your heart, isn't that the most important thing then to Jesus? That he refers to us as his masterpiece. And yet sometimes I feel like we don't always feel like a masterpiece. Sometimes that's a hard one to sink in. Because because we start to look at our faults and our shortcomings when Jesus looks at the beauty. When Jesus looks at his child. When Jesus looks at the fact that we were created in the image of God. That's what he sees. That's what he went to the cross for. That's what he's serving us for. That's what he cares about because he loves his children and he loves our heart. He always starts with the heart. The worst thing that you can do is neglect your heart because that's actually the most important thing to Jesus. Uh, if the worship team could, could come back up. And I think the order is critically important. And I, I think Jesus is really intentional with that. that when, when, we, when we think of Jesus as someone who has hospitality, when we think of someone as Jesus who serves people well, when we think of somebody that that wants unity to be created, that he always starts with the heart. And so this morning, that, that's what I want for us. Um, there's going to be a, a, a little bit of a response, a little bit of just kind of personal inventory, a little bit of, of, of how are we doing. And so as, as, we go back into, as we go back into another song, I really want to take a moment and do a heart check before the Lord. Not a... Not out of condemnation or judgment or anything like that, but just simply knowing that Jesus is in love with your heart, that he cares about it deeply. And so this morning, I want you guys to do that. I want you to think, like, how is my heart really doing? Because, again, a lot of times we can get into this habit of creating a fake facade, of pretending like we have everything together, of pretending like we're not hurting, so we fake it. We're like, oh, I'm good. And you can have a superficial, brief conversation about how you're not actually doing it. But when actually inside, you're hurting. And and, and you need to tell people that. And so you need to be honest with yourself before any of that else happens. And so as we go back into this song, I just want us to do that. I want to take a minute and just think, how is our heart doing? And the next thing I want us to do after that is I want us to go find someone. That it could be a student. It could be a leader. I want you guys to pray. I want you to pray together. And I want you to be honest about how you're doing. If you guys are doing great and life is amazing, let's celebrate that. That's awesome. Like, I love that. But, but if there's something that's just kind of weighing on your heart that you're not meant to carry, guys, I want you to lay it at the feet of Jesus, and then I want you to go pray with someone. Because again, like Christianity is not designed for this isolation. We're not meant to do it alone. We find so much more strength when we're together. That there is this strength in numbers. Jesus designed it that way so that we wouldn't bear the entire burden on our own. So after that, just find someone, just pray. Now let's just be family this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for, for who you are. We thank you for who you are. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you that you were the ultimate servant. Jesus, we thank you that you care about how we are, that you care about the heart, that you, you don't just like it, you're in love with it. You went to the cross for it. You were all about it. And so God, would we, would we want to take care of our heart because we know that you think it's the most important thing. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in your name. Amen. Let's worship.